1945, the Nazi concentration camp Bergen-Belsen was in full use. And although the war was coming to a close, the number of murders and fatalities in that concentration camp was increasing. I found myself looking into it this week and, and the devastation, the destruction of human life, the, the inhumanity, the atrocities that were going on there is something that I kind of saw the pictures and I wish I could forget them. But then on April 15th, 1945, Great Britain's 11th, Division, 11th Armored Division liberated that camp. And you can imagine this joy and, and yet tragic event that happens as, as the sadness and the, the rejoicing kind of meet together and there's, there's tears of happiness and, and tears of sad, sadness at the exact same time when the liberation occurs. One thing that's recounted for us is that that, that day before the, the 11th Division even showed up, one of the people in the concentration camp was able to hear them coming as you could could sit in silence and just hearing moaning and and wailing that was going on in the concentration camp if you could just listen hard enough that morning you were able to hear the rolling tanks and the trucks and, and the the boots and in that moment that woman knew we're going to be freed. That tank, those boots, those trucks, that was the sound of liberation. And today, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Isaiah chapter 61 is our song, our sound of liberation. As we hear, as we hear what Isaiah was coming to do, he was coming to declare this message to his contemporaries this beautiful, freeing, liberating message. But oh my goodness, there was so much more than that. He's delivering this message not just to the people that were his contemporaries. He's delivering this message to us, saying that we are finding ourselves in all of the negative circumstances in which, in which our lives just seem to be steeped. But our liberator is coming. Hear the words of liberation from Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the message of our liberating Savior who comes not just to liberate us from 
from the day, from the trials and tribulations that we experience in our daily lives, but he comes to liberate us from those dark, those awful prison cells of sin and from any danger of hell that we might deal with. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, this is the cry of the liberator who says, don't worry, listen closely and hear your coming Savior because you are not alone and soon you will see his glory on full display as he calls you out of darkness. All right, now that's a pretty good reason to be happy. That's a reason to to wake up and find joy in almost every circumstance because we know that those circumstances are, are coming to an end. Today we're going to talk about joy. But first, I kind of want us to understand what, what the joy that Jesus, or what Isaiah talks about here is, is not. I sometimes hear the phrase, and, and maybe you've even said it, God wants me to be happy. It's one of those phrases that just sort of hits the ears wrong. Here's why. God wants me to be happy is a phrase that you could use to justify just about anything. God wants me to be happy. So my dead-end job, I am going to quit because God wants me to be happy. Certainly, you are more than welcome to quit your job. That's not what I'm saying. But to take that and then lay it at the feet of God and say, God wants me to quit my job, that gets dangerous. No, we could go a little bit further with it. God wants me to be happy. Therefore, I have to cut out most of my family from my life because that family is only bringing me sadness. And, and that's an okay thing for me to do. Why? Because God wants, God wants me to be happy. Or I, I actually need to, to have an affair because God wants me to be happy and I'm just, I'm just not happy right now. God wants me to be happy and so the kids that he has blessed me with and the spouse that he has blessed me with need to be kind of put away, put to the wayside because God wants me to be happy. You see how with that phrase you're essentially just taking what you want out of life and saying, oh yes, this is what God wants for me. It's a really ugly and dangerous switch as we assume that God wants us to be deliriously, obnoxiously happy in this life, even though in no place in Scripture does he say that we are going to find ourselves in in happy and and blissful circumstances every single day of our lives. And therein lies sort of the problem there. When we start talking about happiness and that pursuit of happiness that that the people in the secular world, but also Christians, seem to pursue, it's pretty unfulfilling. If your life is, is defined by all of the happy moments in, in your life, then you are going to have to string one after another, after another, after another, almost like a Christmas tree string of lights. And the moment that one of those light bulbs burns out, then the rest of them go out as well. And the moment that you hit one moment of deep and utter discontentment, then the rest of them, the rest of them fall to discontentment as well. When we try to find happiness 
in the individual circumstances of this life and, and any time we feel sadness, we assume that it's something that needs to be cut out, then we are going to find ourselves constantly running, constantly trying to pursue something that God has in no way here said that we are going to be able to catch up to. No, dear brothers and sisters, I can tell you with full confidence and one of those obnoxious smiles on my face, God does not care about your happiness. He cares about so much more. He cares about you. And that is what we see in Isaiah chapter 61. That is what we hear in the liberating call. We hear that he cares a lot more than just about the the little circumstances of our lives. Don't get me wrong. He is with you in every single one of those circumstances. But he says, dear brother, dear sister, take a step back. Have perspective. And see that trying to pursue happiness in this life of sin is just going to heap more and more sin on top of what is already there. Instead, he says, I, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. This is the fundamental reason why Isaiah why you and I are able to delight greatly, and that is because the robe of righteousness, not the robe of your righteousness, but the robe of Christ's righteousness, has been taken off and placed upon you. Look at all of those circumstances that we hear about. You were brokenhearted, you were in captivity, you were prisoners. And I know that well, dear brother and sister, because you are looking at a a brother who also finds, found himself in captivity. Captivity to sin, captivity to the moment of this world that is always fleeting. But if we take that step back and view it as something so much larger than just finding happiness in the moment then we're able to find a little bit of a little bit of joy of the godly joy that God is talking about here that Isaiah is talking about here when he says I delight greatly in the Lord joy that comes from sins forgiven and the robe of righteousness being yours it's been sort of cool over these this last month or so uh, my kiddo's gotten a lot more expressive with her face which is a lot of fun because she will be smiling and almost giggling. You can see she just, she just wants to giggle. And then in six seconds, the bottom lip juts out and she screams like it's the end of the world. She has no ability to regulate her emotions. She's not able to reason on the fact that, yes, I'm hungry right now, but you know what? My parents have fed me before, so they're going to feed me again, I'm sure. I'll just relax a little bit. That's all she has to communicate with us is emotions running completely out of control. She can't take a step back and have any type of perspective. But we can. We can take a look at the the job that's going nowhere, the marriage that seems utterly broken, the relationship with kids that seems like it's, it's lost. 
We can look at the, the captivity that our, our heart finds itself as it, as, it is, as it is pressed down by sin after sin, this, this seemingly inescapable sin. And we are able to know that that is not where God has left us. We are able to know that that circumstance, that moment, is not able to dictate, it is not able to take away something that God has said about you from all eternity, that his robe of righteousness is your robe of righteousness. And that the the bars of the jail cells, that the darkness of captivity has no power over you. That is the liberating message of a Savior who comes to clothe me with garments of salvation and array me in a robe of righteousness. That is a truth, whether you feel it or not whether the circumstances of your life tell you it's true or not, even when happiness seems to elude you. This is true today, tomorrow, and forever. You know what? It's not a joy that can be taken away from you. Try as other people in your life might. Try as Satan himself might. There is no one who is able to take the joy of your salvation out of your hands because the joy of salvation in your hands was something placed there by none other than God himself. It can't be taken away, but I suppose it can be given away. You're sitting in the congregation today and you're saying, yes, pastor, you say that the Christian is able to rejoice. The Christian could rejoice every single day of his or her life, but, but I'm not feeling it. I don't feel joyful. I don't find myself with the ability to rejoice. Am I a bad Christian? Am I a Christian at all? That is not at all what I'm saying. There are going to be moments in which you find joy and rejoicing to be difficult. There are going to be these moments, just as it talks about in Scripture, in which you find yourselves in some of the most dark and depressing places in life. But when that happens, there is one remedy. And it's, it's not even praying to God. It's not just feeling bad about it. It's not just trying to rationalize it in our head. There's one prescription that God has when we are feeling deep in the depths of sin, shame, guilt, and sadness, and that is to return over and over again to these words that he has given to us. Because what he says here is whether you feel it or not, your salvation is secure. Whether you feel like you have a reason to rejoice or not, you do have a reason to rejoice. And you know what, in those moments when you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm trash. I don't deserve anything that God has to give to me. I don't deserve to live. Then you are saying something that runs contrary to what your Savior has to say to you. You can say all of those things about yourself in your sad state. But know at the end of it, the word of your Lord His declaration of liberation from sin for you stands high above anything you have to say about yourself. That's the joy we get to experience as we we approach this Christmas season. 
Isaiah says, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Maybe I'm looking at a bunch of brokenhearted people today. And you can't even see it from the outside, but the heart right in here is, is shattered. Know that your Savior is coming to find every little piece of that and put it back together, not in the circumstances of this life, but in your ability to rejoice over what he's done for you. He's coming to proclaim freedom from the captives. I know that I am talking to people who find themselves captive to sin because you are looking at someone who finds himself captive to sin and Jesus says no more of that. No more will you find your dominion or your worth in sin. You will find your, your king and your Lord who has the final word about you. And finally, it says that he has come for the release from darkness for the prisoners. If all you're seeing right now in your life is darkness, and it seems like every single time you turn around, you have just no idea where to go spiritually or in your social life or in your family life, then, dear Christian, know that he is coming to release you from that darkness. That's why the baby lies in the manger, so that he can pull you out of that dark, dingy prison and say, never, ever will we go back there again. That's the sound of liberation. As you hear the Advent songs, know that that is the sound of, of your liberator coming. As you hear one another say Merry Christmas to, to each other, know that that is the sound of liberation. As you hear the word of God through Isaiah throughout this Christmas season, know that is the sound of your liberator. And he's coming. He's coming quickly for you. Amen.